Hello everyone and welcome to 1v1 with Boss Rush Games. I'm your host, Celeste Roberts. Today I have the pleasure of interviewing Kyle Von Kubik, founder of One Rad Tea, Read Only Magazine, and the Hot-Blooded Challenger Club, a collection of retro gaming and nostalgic-based review shows. And Kyle, I'm going to let you list off those podcasts. Oh boy, okay. Well, it started with 20XX, which was a Mega Man game-by-game podcast. Me and my buddy Keith, the Robo-Duke, really started the Hot-Blooded Challenger Challenger Club with this uh, Mega Man review show. It was a month. This year, we've expanded it, so 20XX is still happening on kind of like a monthly basis. Then we have Saturday Morning Crunch that I do with Keith and my buddy John E. Capcom where we review the Saturday morning cartoons as nominated by you uh, via five-star reviews on uh, Stitcher or Apple Podcast. And then we have Gotta Go Cast, which is a review show I do with my friends uh, Peter Graphic and Nico Bun. And um, we review Sonic the Hedgehog titles. And we rank them on a scale of chili dogs. And then we rank them on our master list of the greatest Sonic the Hedgehog games of all time as reviewed and ranked by Gotta Go Cast. Oh my goodness. So are y'all watching all of the Sonic cartoons? No, we're not doing the Sonic cartoon. Well, I shouldn't say that. On Saturday morning crunch, we did a review of the Sonic the Hedgehog cartoon, the funny one, not the one that's all like, uh, you know, Edgelord, the one that was goofy and squash and stretch. Um, but we're doing the games, the Sonic the Hedgehog game. So we've okay. reviewed Spinball and 3D Blast and Sonic 06 uh, and some others. Okay, I'm kind of hoping y'all are doing Sonic Schoolhouse for the PC. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I'm trying to get the guys to do the uh, the two Sonic games that were on the Pico. Pushback on what? doing the Pico games. What? I'm not aware of those. Oh, yeah. There was, it's like you know it's pico it's sega pico so they're very like light games they're really just like a coloring book and uh, like learning your letters and whatnot but yeah there was one with tails and then there was one with Sonic that i'd like to review in the future oh my goodness so y'all have your work cut out for you yeah these are all really dumb premises <laughs> for shows <laughs> Um, but we have a lot of fun and there is, uh, a lot of passion and earnest behind preserving video games from the collection of guys that I have on the shows. I was listening to you guys talk about the Zelda cartoon. That was pretty fun. Yeah, that was fun to go back to and watch. I was kind of surprised at, um, the energy that was in those cartoons. So did you grow up in that era with eighties cartoons? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I was born in 83, uh, so I was right there for the NES and everything that came afterwards. Although I had the Atari VCS when everyone was rocking the NES, and I was playing Journey the Escape while everyone was enjoying Super Mario Brothers 2. <laughs> were you jealous, or you felt you were like the cool kid? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yep. I'm playing Journey the Escape, and I'm watching my buddy uh, Steven Vanderlaski play Super Mario Brothers. Of course. Jealous. <laughs> That's awesome. Nobody so- asked to come over my house to play video. <laughs> Nobody was in for, uh, you know, Outlaw or anything like that. They have an, they're playing Ninja Gaiden. They're not coming over to watch. <laughs> I think I took for granted that my dad, my dad's a big video game person as well. And we always grew up with Nintendo systems. And as a kid, you don't really have much of a choice unless you request something for Christmas. So. Oh yeah. I talk about that. Growing up, it was your birthday and Christmas uh, or, you know, Hanukkah, if you celebrated that, those are the only, that type of gift so you know at best you maybe got two games a year if you were lucky oh yeah and 
I was talking about this with my boyfriend the other day. He was saying, oh, you know, when Nintendo 64 games used to be like 70 bucks. I was like, no way. Oh, yeah. There's no way. Yeah. They were. <laughs> yeah. yeah, look at those Toys R Us ads. They'll blow your mind. Yeah, and now we complain if we have to pay $60 or $50 sometimes. But oh, there's people complaining about paying, what, $2.99 for an indie game or something like that. It's ridiculous. Come on. Come on. Y'all need to go back in time to when we had to <laughs> dish out some real dough to enjoy our uh, Yeah, and had no idea if a game was, was good or not. You know, it had, yeah. had Nintendo Power being like, Fester's Quest is a game for a certain type of gamer. We couldn't read between the lines. We were six, you know? No, I miss Nintendo Power so much. I remember the yeah. little, I think it was, it was this man named Alan, he, and he used as his uh, avatar the little blob from Dragon Quest, the little blue blob. Oh, sure, slime, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, what would you like to tell us about yourself, Kyle? Uh, well, I am a father, a husband, and an independent artist. Uh, I'm also a podcaster. I've been doing podcasting since 2005, but I've really, really started doing it in earnest uh, with um, retro gaming in 2009 with a show called We Talk Games. Uh, I helped develop a new format for that show. I was a producer on that show. I coordinated uh, and scheduled guests for the show. So I got a lot of industry icons like Trip Hawkins and Nolan Bushnell and um, who else? Jason Rohr and uh, Alex Noisy, for example. So these are people who were legendary in their own right or up and coming at the time. I had a lot of fun with that show. But in uh, 2019, I decided just to strike out on my own because I wanted full creative control and I wanted to do things my way. No bad blood at all. In fact, I encourage anybody watching this to go to WeTalkGames.com and click on this banner that's uh, for the better part of four or five years, uh, me and the most of the crew who's on uh, my programs now, we did a weekly show called Arcade Weekly for we Talk Games. And I feel that we filled a big gap in the preservation of video games, particularly with arcade games. They get overlooked. A lot of people remember, you know, this Pac-Man behind me or Dig Dug or a lot of the top tier Nintendo or Namco or Konami games. But they don't think about games like Wiping or Guzzler or even, you know, maybe some better games like Ladybug, you know, or uh, Cheeky Mouse. So we dive deep into that arcade well, that main well, and we found some games that were at least interesting. They weren't all good, but they were always interesting. And we talked about them at length and we gave it a solid effort to really uh, put stuff out there for games that they don't have a Wikipedia page. Uh, nobody's fondly remembering them. They're not getting an arcade one-up cabinet. So I'm very proud of that work, uh, but I wanted to do something different. So in 2019, I started the Hot-Blooded Challenger Club, which is, like you said, a, a collection of shows that are pop culture and retro gaming oriented. And, uh, you know, I was a little nervous doing that, breaking away from a show that I had spent a lot of time with. Uh, but thankfully, uh, one of the co-hosts from that show, Keith, was available and him and I started talking. I told him my idea and he was ready to do it and we started talking Mega Man and now it's just grown into now I'm talking Saturday morning cartoons now I'm talking about Sonic games and um, everyone's having a good time. So would you say that that has to be so rewarding to be able to relive your childhood like that and reminisce? Yeah I mean so it's nice to do that for sure um, it's also nice just to get together with these guys that I've been talking to or talking with for years and just wax on some wild stuff, particularly with the Saturday morning cartoon show. You know, we just wrapped on a, a show for Shusha, uh, who was a huge star in Brazil, and she tried to make it here in America, and she had her own show called Shusha, and it was a flop, but it's just a very interesting, quirky, wacky show. And that's when we have those big belly laughs, when we're getting together and we're reviewing something that's just off the wall. So for me, it's nice just to get together and have a few laughs. Uh, it is nice to reminisce, you know, closing in on 40, I'm looking down the barrel of mortality, I guess. So it is <laughs> nice to uh, revisit your childhood, but we're all very aware that we are full grown people 
watching things that or playing things that were intended for children. So you said that you're a father. So do your children like to watch Saturday morning cartoons? Is that still a thing? No, I don't believe it is a thing anymore. Uh, I think the last of them went away maybe 10 years ago. I remember it being a big news story. Um, my son only watches PBS when I'm in control or my wife's in control. When he goes to grandma and grandpa's, he sees a little bit more salacious things. Uh, oh, I say yeah. that jokingly. It's not like <laughs> Paw Patrol. Uh, he doesn't, you know, Paw Patrol in our house. But at grandma and grandpa's, he might get a little bit of Paw Patrol. But he's five. So uh, he watches what we let him watch. And he really does enjoy the PBS programming. Gosh, I now I feel bad because I think my parents are letting me watch Rocco's Modern Life when I was five. Oh, boy, yeah, me, me too. <laughs> I was raised on television. Are you kidding? I, I'm, I'm sure we're around the same age. We were the generation that was raised by video games, and we were raised by screens. Like, it's not a knock against our parents, but that's the way it is. We were raised raised by television. Oh my goodness, yes. Rocco's Modern Life, Ren and Stimpy, Rugrats. Yeah, I'm in my early 30s and I looked forward to one Saturday morning. I don't know if you remember that with Recess and Pepper Ann. Oh, that. So I was a little older at that point, but I'm aware of those shows. Sure, sure. Yeah. So, gosh, I'm, I'm a little sad that kids don't have maybe, well, I, maybe our parents would say the same thing, right? Like, oh, you kids didn't have howdy duty. Sure, sure. So there's plenty of programming with all the streaming services now, too. You know, Netflix has their own kids thing. YouTube, don't let your kids ever watch YouTube. But YouTube has their kids thing. Still not safe. Don't let your kids watch it. Uh, there's also Hulu has a whole bunch of programming, Disney Plus and stuff like that. So kids probably have more access than we ever did when we were, like, you know, wading through commercials to get to the second half of Rocco's Modern Life or something. But we had Stick Stickly. Stick Stickly in the afternoon, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I remember that. I, and also, unless your parents were kind enough to record on a VHS tape, if you yeah. didn't get home from school or your activities at the right time, you, you missed out on that episode of whatever you were hoping to yeah, watch. Yeah, I, I recorded over my parents' wedding tape uh, to... <laughs> Because I wanted to record an episode of, I think, Ninja Turtles or Real Ghostbusters or something like that. How old were yeah. you when you did that? I, what age is that? I guess six or seven. Oh, so seven, you were eight. I don't know if I would say you're old enough to know better. I was old enough to know better. I just didn't. You know what it was? I didn't watch the tape. I just looked at a tape and I'm like, this tape looks good enough to me. Were you in trouble a little bit? Oh, without a doubt. A little yeah. bit. Or were they? Oh, yeah. A little bit. <laughs> I got thrown a fair one. Are you kidding me? I got a lot of it. <laughs> I was just wondering if they were like, we understand. So. <laughs> yeah. No, evidently they, they were able to reach out to the videographer and uh, get a master of all things, which is really creepy if you think about it back in the you know, 80s and 90s, somebody like holding on to masters of your uh, wedding tape. But I'm sure that he hit him over the head like another 200 or 300 bucks to get that tape. Well, that's, I mean, that's a lot of money now, but back then, whoa. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I'm, I actually bought a copy of Read Only Magazine. I have it open right you now. Did. I did. I did the first one. So Kyle and I, uh, we've been interacting through the Retrovaniacs, guys. Yes. That's a, Great another, show. Yes. If, if you like retro games, highly recommend them. And we chit-chatted a little bit on their Discord and Instagram and Twitter, just following each other. And I saw that Kyle released Read Only magazine. And it is a labor of love. I Oh, without a doubt. Thank you. Oh, I really enjoyed it. I, I, reading this first copy. And you taught me so much with your prior to Pong one. Like I didn't think about the EM, the electromechanical games. Right. Yeah. Now, that, that's something that's, um, uh, you know, I have a passion, obviously, for preserving video game history. I take it very seriously. I think, you know, video games are just as much an art form as film. Um, I used to say a few years ago that if you were to put video games and film on a timeline, we were only in the silent film era. But that was like that was like 10 years ago. So I'm probably off by that now. We're probably into talkies at this point. Uh, but 
that being said, not all film is art and neither is video games, but I think video games should be discussed and treated as an art. Uh, and I think video games didn't just get their start with microchips either. It is these electrical mechanical games. Unfortunately, it's, it's even harder to describe an electrical mechanical game at length on a podcast. It's really something that needs to be experienced. I don't even think a video does a really great job at it. Um, but these are machines that are at this point, you know, 100 years old. Uh, and they're little like dioramas with mechanical puppets and there's limited interaction. But you see the start of video game genres there, whether it be a light gun shooter or a sports title or an action title. It was happening with these little marionettes of, you know, shooting UFOs with an actual rifle. Uh, not didn't have ammunition, obviously, <laughs> retrofitted, but it was the stock of an actual gun that you were holding. And it was the same size and shape as a real rifle. And uh, thankfully, there are some places, as I, as I described in the article, particularly in New Hampshire, uh, but I think also uh, along the boardwalks in uh, New Jersey and Coney Island and even in Rehoboth Beach, where you can experience uh, these. And I would encourage everybody to do so before they are gone forever, because it's not like you can dump a ROM of one of these machines. They're very, uh, you know, of their time. All I could, what I thought of, because you, you include some pictures of them. I don't know if you have Clubhouse games for the Switch by any chance. I don't have a Switch. <gasps> oh, I okay. Switch. I want a Switch. I want a Switch, <laughs> but no, I don't have one. I, I'm kind of familiar with this, though. Okay. Clubhouse games. Yeah, there you can play baseball and soccer. And I'm looking at the picture of batting practice, bat them out, boys, um, that you included, where mm -hmm. 15 balls for five cents. Wow. I don't know what you can get for <laughs> five cents anymore. But there, the games in that video game remind me I, that's what I was picturing. I could be incorrect, where it's kind of like foosball, where you have to, they're mechanical yes. and to, to hit the baseball, it's not like Mario Super Sluggers where it's all 3D, it's all integrated in this right. video game, you're you're playing these cute little machines on Clubhouse games. Would that be kind of akin to the... I'd have to look into it further, but it does sound, from your description, it sounds pretty close. Uh, with that particular game that you're looking at in the article, it would release like a ping pong ball down a track, and uh, you would squeeze like a, uh, a lever, like one of those tests, test your strength type arcade games. Uh -huh. So that's what it was, and, and how how much you, you uh, squeezed it, it would uh, relate to the strength of the little mechanical batter that would swing like this. And okay. uh, you would try to hit it into a zone. And then if you got into a zone, then it would light up the board and how many runs you made. That is so cool. I, I freaked out when I was reading your article because my dream is to visit New England. And oh, really? I saw that it's in New Hampshire. That's a low bar. Go do it. You deserve it. New England of all places. People are like, I want to visit, you know, Japan. I want to go to Hawaii. Like, I want to see Boston. I said, get a train ticket. You deserve it. Well, I guess I, I'm cheating a little bit because I, I taught English in Japan um, nine oh, years ago. Oh, I lived well, there yeah, six right. months. Okay. Well, I guess that, that part of the bucket list is... <laughs> yeah, I, you check go. that off your list already. Okay. I want to go back. I want to go back. There's The only reason I would want to be immortal is so I could go visit places around the oh, world. Oh, sure. <laughs> but this this looks outstanding. Now, I mean, you don't have to tell us your location, but are you near, are you close enough to go to these places like Coney Island and this? Um, well, I am for Coney Island. And um, I'm, um, I'm very happy to live on Long Island. I have a lot of access to a lot of things that a lot of people, you know, across the country don't have access to. I can easily get to into the city uh you know it's about our 15 minutes from where i live uh, so i have a lot of access to the these types of uh, jersey shore or coney island and visit those boardwalks uh new hampshire's there's a hike but um i was going on vacation there and there's not a lot to do in new hampshire the purpose to go to new hampshire is to not do things <laughs> But what is there, what is offered there, and nostalgic and quaint. You know, there's a drive-in movie theater that I hope is still open after, uh, after COVID. Um, that's not accessible 
for where I live. There's seasonal ones here, but there's not a actual drive-in theater that you can visit. So I always visit that when I go up there. And I always visit these arcades when I go up there, too, because the uh, assortment, especially at Fun Spot uh, by Weir's Beach in New Hampshire, it's the largest arcade in the world, period, full stop. Mm -hmm. As far as I know, last I checked, it's the largest arcade in the world. And uh, just the sheer collection of games they have there is incredibly impressive. ACAM is the organization that actually takes care of the museum part, which is it's a playable museum. You go there and you can play these games and they take donations and they preserve the games and they actually take donations of games when somebody passes from their personal collection or I just can't take care of this machine anymore. They give it to them. And they have things that you won't see anywhere else. Uh, Space Harrier, full motion uh, cabinet. So you sit down in the cockpit and it's jockeying you up and down and you're tilting and yawing. You're not finding that uh, anywhere, I don't think, anymore. Uh, Prop Cycle, which is an arcade game where you sit on an exercise bike and you pedal to move your polygonal avatar across the screen as it's blowing air in your face. Not something you're going to find out at your David Busters. You know? Oh, my goodness. And OK, so they keep making things like Ring Fit and Just yes. Dance. They need to make things like that where you're actually pedaling and you feel the yeah. air. <laughs> it's quite the build out. You know, you'd have to, like, I don't know, get involved with Bowflex or something or Peloton, Nintendo <laughs> and Peloton coming together, which probably isn't the weirdest thing that Nintendo's thought about can in you, their history. Can you imagine... Nintendo aerobics. Yeah, I can actually. I think they had it with the. Uh, I don't know how good it was. What was it like? We fit. We fit, or they yeah, had the like a little board. trainer or something. No matter what your weight was, you step on the balance board, and it's like, whoa! It's like, thanks, balance board. My doctor said I'm healthy. I'm, I thought yeah. my BMI was okay. Whatever. Thanks. Oh gosh, I. I can't. I don't know how you have any time. I'm going over my list of questions, I don't. topics, and I oh, you don't. Have <laughs> I don't have any time. I don't have any hobbies. I just have like side businesses and side hustles. All my friends are pretty much collaborators on all these other projects. But what I will say, uh, to be fair with that, is I think when you work with people on things like this, it forces you to stay in contact and be together and uh, build these really strong connections. You know, a lot of uh, a lot of my best friends I met through podcasting, people that I can rely on, people that were there for me in dark times. Uh, I met through talking about games. So uh, I do think there is something to be said about that, the human connection of it all. I'm sure that was a big help for 2020 for you. Oh, yeah. I mean, 2020 opened me up to a bunch of things because 2020 is really the start of One Rad T my online store. Uh, seven years ago, I, I started my Kickstarter um, where I was going to make a t-shirt, a limited run of a, uh, of a t-shirt of my own design that was celebrating arcade history. So there was like 52 characters on one shirt um, representing all different types of games. And that was Arcado. And uh, much to my surprise, it was successfully funded. And it really gave me the boost I needed to continue doing that yearly. So for the last seven years, I've done a yearly T-shirt and it would be funded on a Kickstarter. And then the remaining in inventory I would sell at like a convention. But what happened was with COVID, I wasn't going to go to a convention. There were no conventions. Uh, so what do I do with all this back inventory? I'm going to open an online store. And thankfully, I had some connections with Shopfee and they were able to me walk me through that. And it made it very, very easy. And I just needed a good domain name. So what better domain name could I get for an apparel store than one rad tea? Uh, and from there, the rest is pretty much history. The store has been open for a year now. I've had success with it. Uh, people seem to like the stuff that's there. And uh, I thank them for their purchases and their support. Uh, and ROM is another uh, birth from COVID. I had made many comics in like high school. And uh, I didn't really have access to zines because by the time I was old enough to be reading zines, they had kind of faded. Zines were more of like a Gen X thing. Mm -hmm. uh, but many comics were a thing. And I, I drew my own mini comic. Uh, these two characters kicking around for years, Rat and Chico. 
And they're kind of like a Ren and Stimpy or a milk and cheese type of pairing where they're just getting into trouble. Uh, very juvenile and immature. I've developed the characters more over the years, but those high school comics were basically like, it's a Ren a chicken drinking vodka and setting things on fire was basically like the premise of every comic. <laughs> uh, so, I, you know, I was where I like had to do self-publishing. But then I watched The Punk Singer which was about the whole Riot girl scene of the Gen X and uh, Kathleen Hanna, uh, you know, specifically about her, but also the other women that were around her and the scene they developed. And a big part of the Riot girl scene in the 90s were those zines. And I was like, oh, yeah, zines, those are cool. And then I saw another film, another documentary called The Shirkas. And that was more about the, these young women uh, making their own film, but they had gotten their start by making fanzines. And I was like, there's something here. You know, we're all home, we're all stuck, and we're all yearning for the past, right? We don't want to be in 2020. We don't want to be in, you know, 2016. We don't want to be in 2008. We want to be back at 96, 90. Uh, is there something here? So I thought of this idea of, of having a subscription box service through One Rad Tea called Xenorama. And what, what Xenorama was, was it was a collection of old and new zines. So zine artists reach out to me and I reach out to them. Hey, do you want to throw your back catalog stuff into this box? And then with a little bit of capital, I purchased a bunch of just old zines off like Craigslist and eBay. And they got shuffled into these boxes and I started this subscription service during COVID. It had a few dozen subscribers, but not enough to sustain it as like a side business. So I squashed it at the beginning of this year. I fulfilled you know, the year for the subscribers that had subscribed for a year. And then that was it for me. But I still like the idea of the zine. And I was thinking about, well, what if I were to make a zine specifically about retro gaming and kind of fill that that the big guys left? You know, your EGM, I think, is gone. I know it came back and it was it was here and then it was gone again. Uh, Nintendo Power, gone. GamePro, gone. You know, what's left? You got Game Informer, which is just an advertising arm for GameStop. Um, and then you have some good, you know, niche magazines like Retro Gamer. But for us Americans, it's kind of expensive because it's a UK magazine. I also think there's another uh, small publication called Old School Gamer. Um, and they're trying to emulate magazines. Or, well, Retro Gaming is a magazine, full stop. But like Old School Gamer is trying to emulate the magazines of yesterday. I wanted to take a different approach. My uh, day job, I work in graphical communications, which is a nice way to say I'm a printer. I deal with printing materials all day long, so I know how to make a book. And I can very easily make ROM a full color, glossy magazine, but I didn't want to emulate that. I wanted to emulate uh, zines from yesteryear. So I looked at uh, Game Freak. The company started as a fanzine, where they would review uh, just arcade titles or NES titles. And I liked the style and the simplicity of their particular zine, but I wanted to have my own fresh approach to it. So I decided that every magazine, uh, for read-only magazine, was going to be a two-color duotone, black and some sort of Pantone for that month. And each magazine was gonna have a theme, and it was a very open-ended theme. And the only thread uh, for every article or piece of artwork submitted or photograph, you know, I have, I have writers, I have artists, I have cops, cosplayers submitting content. The only thing that they have to connect with their content for the most part is that theme, whatever the theme is and retro game. That's it. Uh, and that's opened the door for everything from very, um, you know, straight laced reviews of titles to more personal essays to social commentary. And that's exactly what I want in this magazine. Cause I think, that's going to be appealing to people because it's something that does not exist. You know, if you want to read about how a particular game looks, feels, and somebody's ranking on it, you can get that pretty much anywhere, including ROM. But when you're going to, when you're finding an article that's talking about how we can be a better society through learning the lessons of Pac-Man 2, the new adventures, that's not something you're going to find on a you know, a uh, blog somewhere or in one of these niche magazines. And that's really what I'm going for is this other angle of talking about games differently. 
I have to say, I I think when I'm, in addition to learning, I also enjoy the humor with the roast. Mm. That yes, Ouch. So Ouch is a brilliant person. Um, he's a great writer. He has such a terrific voice. And uh, follow him on Twitter, just Ouch. I love the guy. I you know we we've talked back and forth for years. He um, would contribute occasionally on We Talk Games. He wasn't like a consistent uh personality there but he would come on i always enjoyed him and everyone loves the roasts the roasts are everyone's favorite part of the uh the first issue particularly but the second issue is even better i don't know if the preview copy you got had it in there yet but he does a roast of crash bandicoot and it's just it's enjoyable and again not something you're going to find anywhere oh maybe sean baby there's a little some vibes of Sean Baby in there, but Ouch is his own person, his own voice, and uh, definitely a highlight for me. We were already talking about issue three, and we've already t- like kind of hashed out his his roast. So something to look forward to if you really enjoy those. I am so enjoying these. So when you were talking, I started thinking, hmm, I wonder how Kyle defines retro games. Like, is there a threshold oh. for you? Yeah, I'm not one of those people that are going to, like, uh, give you static online if it doesn't meet a certain mark. I I don't know. Anything that's, like, 15 years older than where we are currently, I guess, is fine by me. You know, somebody once said to me, um, are you allowed to curse on this program? Uh, Whatever you want okay. to say. Uh, no, well, this was said to me, but I want to quote them accordingly. <laughs> uh, so we were talking about games. I'm very passionate about video games, as we've discussed. And he said to me, he goes, and I love this quote. He goes, Kyle, what the fuck do you know? You only play 30-year-old games. And there's no other, I, I feel like I was vindicated in that comment, and that's me. Like, I play old games. PS3 is my stop as far as what I've been playing. I have a 3DS that's like the newest console that gets the most burn in my house. I got a hacked Wii. You know, I got a hacked mini of every, all those little mini consoles are mm-hmm. all hacked in my house. Uh, I'm a big proponent for ROMs, you know, and emulation and things like that. But I'm not going to sit there and be like, oh, you can't talk about something on the original Xbox. It's not old enough. Or even Xbox 360. Honestly, with ROM, if it's an older game, even if it's five years old, if you have something to say about it that nobody else can say, I want to hear that story. That's what I'm interested in. I'm not interested in putting, you know, barriers of entry of what we're going to publish we're, we're going to publish what's what's fit to print or what's interesting to read that's what we want i don't want to hear about like i like this game great so do a bunch of other people why does that game speak to you i just like it then there's nothing for you in this magazine at least to, to say because there are people who are really like describing their childhood through the lens of talking about a game or describing the energy of 1990 in Ireland through games. So the games are the thread that lead us through these different stories, but the stories themselves are so vastly different than just talking about a game, you know, through this sort of ABC type of format. That's beautiful. That's so poignant. I love that. Oh, thanks. So how so are the magazines released quarterly? Um, yes. Yeah. Okay. So they're going to be released quarterly. So we're looking at um, a summer release for this next summer issue. Everyone is just super jazzed about it. And uh, issue one is a great uh, magazine, but it was really like a prototype. It should have been an issue zero. It was a proof of concept. Can we do it? Can we put it out? What's it going to look like? What is our format going to be or close to be? Issue two is the watermark now. Uh, it's bigger than the first issue. There's go- Both books had great content, but I, in my opinion, there's better content in this second issue. We've, we've got more artists, we've got more writers, and really like class writers, class artists, great stuff. Uh, I, I'm nervous trying to just meet issue two with issue three. So the, the theme, we've touched on the themes. The theme for issue two is adventure. So you can just let your mind wander as far as what games are going to be discussed and what topics are going to be addressed. I, I already spoiled one about Pac-Man 2, The New Adventures, but I don't want to spoil too much more because I want people to go check it out. Readonlymagazine.com. You can get a printed issue for $5, 
or a digital issue with a watermark, a PDF, for a dollar. That is a deal. <laughs> you can't beat that. Well, thanks. Well, I'm trying to make it affordable. Gosh, I remember I used to be a big fan of collecting uh, players' guides because I liked oh, yeah. the I liked the help, but I also enjoyed reading. I don't know if you played Ocarina of Time by any chance. Oh yeah, all right. I'll spoil okay. another thing. Uh, Ocarina of Time gets discussed in issue two at length, and uh, that's a fun read too. But uh, you didn't see that in your preview copy. Oh. Okay, yeah. I guess I'll I guess I'll spend some money. <laughs> it's, yeah, there's a marital debate between uh, whether that game or another Zelda title are better than one another, and they came out at the in the same year. Well, you have piqued my interest. Good. Time. I hope I pique other people's <laughs> interest too. I'm a huge Zelda fan. <laughs> um, I know. But, I you have a you have a podcast on. Uh, oh, Zelda. another Zelda podcast. Yes. <laughs> There's my plug. We're actually going to the video game summit on July 17th, which okay. that might be old news by the time this podcast comes out, but <laughs> I hope we saw. Well, good luck at that. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, it's in Chicago. There are going to be a lot of vendors selling old video games, and we're going to have a booth to chit chat with people. But regarding player's guides and Ocarina of Time, yeah. I don't know if you had any, but I have the one where it's written like a story instead of just saying oh. turn left press A, it describes Link in third person. Link approached the Gerudo Valley Bridge and realized that he didn't wow. have a... Yes, so... Uh, that's, I've, I've never heard of this. This is very uh, interesting. Yes, I'll have to look for it later and send you some pictures, but I, it even has uh, Shigeru Miyamoto's signature in it, not, you know, his oh, original. Nice. Probably printed, yeah, but yeah. I, I love that. And did you ever read novelizations of video games? No, I didn't. I want to for our Mega Man podcast because I've heard bits and pieces of the Mega Man one, and it's so dumb <laughs> that I just want to. I want to preserve it for history. Not, not that, and something like that. You know, I'm sure I could go on YouTube right now and find three million YouTubers who've already like read it, did videos about it. But I, I want to do it with with my crew. Uh, read through that goofy book. Mario had another one. Uh, so did Zelda. There's a lot of those Nintendo ones. Um, we're going to be doing something special with our Sonic shows uh, that'll be in that kind of uh, narrative uh, lens, I guess. I don't want to, again, I don't want to spoil too much, but Gotta Go Cast has something special lined up that's going to be a little more different than the usual difference that we talk about on our show with the games. So if you're into Sonic weirdness, check it out. So I'm curious, what did you think about the movie if you saw it? I liked it. I thought it was one of the, the best video game adaptations. Uh, my son loves it. I think it's safe to show a five-year-old. You know, there's a little bit of violence there. Uh, but he loved it. He loved, And all he knows of Sonic really is that movie because he doesn't normally want to play the game with me when I'm playing a game to review for the show. Uh, but he's, he's jazzed about Tails. He wants to see Tails. He wants to know more about Tails. And I'm like, well, you know, Knuckles is in the movie, too. You don't know who Knuckles is. He's <laughs> like, like, who's that? And I show him a picture. He's like, I want to see Tails. And I'm like, all right, we'll see Tails. Chill. We're going to see Tails soon. But yeah, I thought the film was fantastic. It was, it was, it was a lot of fun. And uh, another one we watched together was Detective Pikachu. And I was surprised at how well uh, that movie came together. So uh, the kids today, they got much better video game adaptations than we got with, you know, uh, I mean, I guess we were all jazzed about Mortal Kombat, but looking back, that wasn't a very good film. And I think the new one was pretty much panned, uh, but that Super Mario Brothers movie, oh boy, that crushed a lot of kids back in the day. <laughs> it, I feel like people are either hot or cold with that movie because I know people who outright just hate it or yeah. there are some people who adore it. If it didn't have the licensing, it's really just a corny sci-fi movie that's aping off a lot of other sci-fi movies. Uh, because it has the license, that makes it more interesting. Take that for what it is. I, I don't know. I, I think as an adult, it's fun to watch because it is just off the wall. But I'm somebody who really enjoys Barbarella, which, you know, is just as off the wall and weird and... and uh, I don't know, like over the top. It's a spectacle. Same thing with that movie. There's no plot. There's no substance. It's all sizzle, no steak. 
but it's interesting to look at the entire time. Yeah, and I also think it depends on the the genre. So if they were, if Nintendo would ever allow a Zelda movie to be made, that would have to be mm. treated so differently from Sonic the Hedgehog. You know, there. Oh sure, yeah, yeah, definitely. Sonic, you know, Sonic, in my opinion, is supposed to be a fun character. So if you go in that direction and just make it fun, I don't think you can go wrong. I think when you go with the grim dark and the edge lord stuff is when it starts to fall apart, particularly with the games. But when it's just bouncy fun, this is a cute little blue hedgehog who's getting into mischief and, you know, beating down a mad scientist who looks like Teddy Roosevelt. That's all we need. <laughs> we don't need anything more. Does it need to be rescuing princesses or finding Excalibur or, you know, whatever. Uh, he just needs to bounce around, find rings or use rings in some capacity. I think he works as a character. Hopefully the next movie's good. I'm I'm pretty optimistic about it. I remember I I didn't have Sega systems growing up, but some of my cousins did. I remember being very excited for Sonic 2, much like your son. Yeah. I was a big fan of Tails because you could fly, you could float around. Yeah. And especially when you're younger and you just learn how to play games like that is very liberating. Because games are very difficult when you're small and you're learning how to play them. And so here's a character who can traverse a stage uh, by just completely avoiding the hazards. And it's like, oh boy, like now I, I feel like this is accessible to me. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I get the appeal. Like the P-Wing in Super Mario Bros. Oh yeah, yeah, you <laughs> always used it too early. You didn't save it, you used it right away. No, no. But now I'm curious, because, okay, I get teased a lot from my other friends, but I really love edutainment games, or at least I did okay. growing up. Yeah. Like, you know, the Jumpstart games on PC, and then I liked, I like Mario is Missing. I do. Oh, boy, really? I do. Okay. <laughs> I do. All right. And I used to play Mario, Mario's early years. So are there a lot of those types of games available for, I mean, you said your son's not too now, interested. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, PBS, again, uh, great content, and most of their digital content is really good stuff. I mean, it's all educational, but some of the games are a little wonky or don't work mm. very well. Or sometimes they try to do a platformer with like touch screens. They fall into a lot of the trappings of like early iOS games that were trying to do platformers with touch controls and stuff. It's like, it's not really meant for that. Um, but he's learning, you know, logic puzzles and early programming and um, stuff like that through this free app on, you know, our tablet or our phone. So yeah, there is still a lot of edutainment out there. Definitely. Interesting. I, I always thought it'd be cool to have Mario teach a foreign language. <laughs> oh, sure. sure. That would be neat. So I'm trying to see what you've you've done a great job covering everything. Just uh, a little behind the curtain for everybody. I always send the people I'm interviewing a list of questions and topics. And Kyle has a thesis and I appreciate it because yeah. it's so thorough. And I... I love that you touch on different mediums and for one rad tea. Now, is that, is that something that you release like the, like the, I say the fashion industry, how we have a fall line, we have a spring line, we have a summer yeah. line. I have a yearly project. So okay. another arm of the hot blooded challenger club is that these are people who have been with me for the greater part of seven years and have been into these shirts. Uh, so at certain tiers, it's a Patreon. The club is a Patreon, uh, but at certain tiers, you know, a dollar a month, it gets you the podcast early, it gets it ad free and you get bonus content within that show. But uh, if you're going to give five dollars or seven dollars a month, now you're getting zine, uh, you're getting a read only magazine right to your door. Uh, you don't have to buy it on online. It's, you're just a part of the club. So you get the zine. Uh, you're also going to get an opportunity to get special variants of the shirts that I release each year. So for last year, the big project was that Mega Man project, 20XX. So 20XX was a podcast, but it's also a t-shirt design. And it's available now at oneradt.com. Those are what are left from the Kickstarter project. But the Hot-Blooded Challenger Club folks, they got to choose whether or not they wanted one of those shirt designs that were available on the Kickstarter or a special variant that was only available to them. So there was this yellow variant. And People at a certain tier just got the shirt. They didn't have to buy anything. Uh, other people decided that, yeah, I want my special shirt, but I also want to kick in on the Kickstarter because I also want the three-quarter sleeve. 
Um, but that's it. Once these shirts sell out, I don't reprint them. So like the shirt I'm wearing now, Monster Smash, uh, is a collection of video game monsters. I'll hold it up so the camera can see it from uh, video game history as well. And this was kickstarted. And this is a shirt that is towards the end of its inventory. So it's on sale right now for like just five bucks uh, a shirt. But the problem with that is I probably don't have your size. You know, I, I, what, the guarantee with the Kickstarter is you're going to get the shirt in the style you want, in the size you want, and you're going to mm -hmm. get it before it goes on sale on the website. If you're waiting for it to arrive on the website, might not be the cut you want, might not be the size you want. It's what's left. And it's usually when it first appears on the website, it's a little bit, you know, uh, a little bit more expensive than what people paid on the Kickstarter. So wow. I've got yeah. combined the two things. I've combined the two projects where the Patreon and the podcast thing are now just an arm of these yearly T-shirt projects. So for this year, this October, uh, I asked the club members, what do you want? Do you want Sonic or do you want Saturday morning cartoons? And they pretty much unanimously wanted the Saturday morning cartoons, which is a bummer for me because <laughs> Sonic is celebrating a 30th year anniversary right now. So it would line up a lot better. But because I made this agreement with those club members, they want to see those Saturday morning cartoons in this style first. So that's what's going to happen. So come this October, there'll be another kickstarting, uh, Kickstarter project for that yearly design, which will be inspired by all the Saturday morning cartoons we talked about on Saturday Morning Crunch. Wow. So what is the Patreon for this? Or is there what's the best way to find it or website? Uh, to, to join the Patreon, you can just go to hotbloodedchallenger.club. And it's going to it's just going to direct you right to the Patreon. And there's all the different tiers. And like I said, for just a buck a month, you get a bunch of content uh, that you're not going to hear anywhere else. And it's ad free content. You get our podcast early. So if you're digging the shows, um, it's it's kind of a no brainer for just a dollar a month. But uh, economic situations are tight for a lot of people. If you go to oneradpodcast.com, that's the free feed. So the shows come out a little later. There's ads in them, and you don't get any of that bonus content. But you still get the uh, the content that we're creating that's covering the Saturday morning cartoons, the Sonic the Hedgehog series, and Mega Man. And I should note, with the uh, 20XX, we, we reviewed every game in the main line series for Mega Man. So we did 1 through 11 chronologically. And now we're jumping around and taking in submissions like the other shows. And you can check out the ranking where your favorite game might stand with our show by going to MegamanRanking.com. Oh, my goodness. Oh, website. That's awesome. Yeah. So and I'm trying to make sure I'm I'm understanding everything correctly. It's so a lot. Like, it's a very well, crazy <laughs> buck wild ecosystem that I've created. With and me you and my like, friends and, and we're full-time job. <laughs> so. Yeah, and I have a full-time job and I'm a parent. Yes. Oh my I'm an attentive goodness. father and husband as well. <laughs> you only live once. Yeah, I, I always say I'll sleep when I'm dead. <laughs> That's right. So for uh, Read Only Magazine, people can submit. So yes. if someone's listening to this episode and they're thinking, you know, I, I would really love to talk about a video game. So how could they submit? What are the, uh, I guess, like what are the rules or guidelines? Yeah, so we're just starting to develop like guidelines because we received a lot of submissions that we had to unfortunately turn down um, this cycle because we got a lot of great content. So the first thing I would suggest is picking up a copy and seeing the styles that have already been like submitted and published within the book to, to see if your style matches that. I'm not, I'm, I'm not trying to, you know, knock anybody down. It, it's, it's just like with art or, or any other sort of uh, liberal art, you know, you have to keep at it. You have to keep drawing, you have to keep writing. So if you don't make it into a book, it doesn't mean you won't next time, but if you're, Piece should be between 500 to 1,000 words. Uh, it can be longer or shorter than that. It just has to have something to hook the reader in. Um, my wife uh, is a very good writer, and she is uh, helping me call through some of the stuff that comes through, uh, you know, the submissions that you can submit through email, by the way. It's Kyle, K-Y-L-E, at oneradt.com. And just put ROM submission in the subject line. 
Uh, issue three, fear, has a deadline for September 12th. So as long as you get your submission in before September 12th, it will be considered for that third issue. And again, the theme is fear. Leave, leave it up to your imagination with that. But that's what we're looking for. We're looking for personal pieces. We're looking for really thorough reviews, really thorough features on games that you love. You know, if you really love a game, then you should be able to write a thousand words about it and express why you love that game. Um, the article should definitely be proofread. Uh, make sure you have proper punctuation. Make, make sure you have proper, you know, grammar. Like, I shouldn't have to take a piece and then spend an hour or two fixing it for you. That that's not acceptable for either me or you. Well, you know, you know what I'm mm -hmm. saying? Like you, at this some, certain point, you're changing somebody's voice because you're rewriting something for them. Um, personal experiences and a personal voice and a voice, like that's important. You have to have a voice in your writing. It can't just be, this game is good because it's cool. It has to be like, this game spoke to me on this level. Like it, it affected my epistemology. Okay, now we're talking. Like now I want to hear what you have to say about, you know, whatever, Alex Kidd. Like, <laughs> like that's what we want as far as the writing is concerned. Um, our article should be through Word documents at a size 12, a point size rather, uh, and in Georgia font. Those are the only requirements as far as like the structure. Uh, and again, use common sense with paragraphing and word count and proofread your stuff, please. And submission, obviously, is as I've been talking about, is not guaranteed to be published. Artists, artists should just submit their work uh, at the highest resolution they possibly can. I need to know how you want to be credited with anything that you submit. So let me know, you know, your links that you want plugged. We also need a portrait. It can be an image, an avatar, or a portrait of you. So that way, the first thing that you you see when you open the book is the contributors page. It's a picture of you. It's the it's the table of contents, but we're approaching it differently, where it's you're meeting the contributor, and it's in the order of their appearance. So instead of it being a table of contents, it's like now there's some sort of connection between you and the human being who created what you're reading. Uh, so you're going to see the artist who did the cover first, and then whoever did article, you know, the first article in the book, they're going to appear, and then the next person's going to appear. So you got what's in the book, and also who's creating it all at the same time. It's a nice, uh, it's a nice spread. You can just take it all in, and then it's like, hey, I really liked Ouch and his roast. I want to follow him on Twitter. He's right mm -hmm. at the front of the book, and there's all his information, uh, which is neat. So yeah, highest resolution for artists. Their artwork should be submitted in black and white because we're dealing with duotones. You can submit in color, but it's going to be converted to a two-color duotone, and you know you might have all these vibrant colors there, but our duotone next month is going to be black and a Pantone purple. So. It is what it is, like however it shakes out. I recommend a strict black and white work. It usually turns out the best. And then cosplayers, uh, the only thing we ask is make sure it's a high resolution picture. And if somebody did take that photo, please give us the photo uh, credentials on that as well so we can properly credit the photographer in the book. Wow. That I love it. It's so professional. It's it's like classic. <laughs> That's no. I appreciate that. I really do. Yeah. And yeah, I, uh, the layout uh, is very important to us. That while I like the layout in issue one, issue two's layout, I'm very proud of, and I'm the guy laying it out. So <laughs> I'm not biased whatsoever. That is a lot of work. Are you using InDesign for that? See, because I'm I'm looking at it right now. Oh, it cut out for a little bit. It's like the recording didn't want to hear the secrets of anything. If you didn't hear, yes. No. Okay, so it's in design. Okay. Skype. Skype it just worked. Skype doesn't Skype doesn't want all these secrets revealed. It's like you've asked too much. You can't talk about that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I, yeah, that's, it looks so good, and I really, <laughs> I really enjoyed the, your uncle at Nintendo. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, Unky Nintendo on Twitter. I don't know where this dude came from, but he is great. I think, in fact, he writes into uh, Retrovaniacs occasionally on their podcast. 
Yes, and I think from the algorithm of Twitter, he's found some of my statuses and he's left, or it could be a she who's behind the door. I don't know, or they, I don't know, but right. um, I'm going to assume he for uncle, but he's left some interesting comments. On yeah, it's my stuff. understanding he is the oldest play tester at Nintendo to date. Yes, he's got a lot of history there. At least that's what he says. He also says that, you know, he's going to pay his rent on time, and I don't think that have, has ever happened. So. <laughs> it's so funny. I love that. My uncle works at Nintendo. And you have, you have a lot of models for One Rad T as well. How does that work? Yeah. Is there a way people could become models for it? or do you Oh, like sure, yeah. It? I always encourage people to please, if you buy a shirt, post it online, tell people about the shirt. You did buy something special. You did buy something limited. Uh, the shirts can range from anywhere from $5 when they're on sale to like 18 bucks. Mm -hmm. uh, I know like the hoodies and things go for a little bit more, but it, it's it, the stuff's affordable and it's high quality apparel. I usually use either... With the t-shirts, I use uh, Next Level brand, or I try to use Bella Canvas if the budget allows it, because I like the feel of a tri-blend tee. It's very soft. It's very light. It's great for all different climates. It's not a heavy tee. I'm not going to knock any brands, but some of the you know other brands, they're, they're heavier, and they're very heavy cotton tees, and you're not going to wear it when it's warm outside, or it's itchy in the armpit, or whatever. Like These are nice, high-quality tees. So even if you don't like the artwork, you're still getting a really quality piece of fabric to wear. Uh, but yeah, the people, I always encourage, uh, and I put a postcard now in every order, please, please, please tag yourself, post a picture online, use the hashtag OneRadT, tag at OneRadT uh, so people can see. And then if you want to submit, I already gave out my email, Kyle at Island, uh, uh, sorry, Kyle at OneRadT. You can submit a photo of yourself and I'll post it on the website. Um, I've worked with different people on Instagram to help promote the tees. There's some of the models, some of the people who have purchased the uh, tees are the models. Um, and I like to have a, a very wide array of people on the website because I want the website to represent a real community of people and not mm -hmm. just the static uh, you know, stock photos you see of like, the red bubble guy, you know, you're the, that one red bubble guy and the, the <laughs> image of OJ. So he's always happy to wear whatever good, whatever good or bad or ugly or egregious thing is on his shirt. He's always got the same like smile, but I want to see real people wearing my stuff. And uh, unfortunately with COVID, I missed out on all that for a year with the conventions and uh, really having that face-to-face -face interaction with the types of people who purchase uh, my apparel. And when I did the website, I wanted the uh, the people who were being presented on the website to reflect those same people who were the ones who actually buy the shirts at my table. Except for the fact that guys don't like taking pictures of themselves and having them posted online for some reason. So I don't have a lot of dudes on the website. And I wish I did because I met a lot of cool dudes at the convention who would purchase my shirts. Uh, but I guess they're just a little shy i noticed uh we we ladies tend to be a little bit more camera friendly like oh yeah come on take our picture let's document this right. <laughs> like come on i want to see I, i'd appreciate that on the website i love there's all shapes and sizes genders oh, everything yeah. it's really cool because uh sometimes i'm like oh i don't look like that maybe it won't look good on me <laughs> yeah and you know it was it was a conscious decision, but it wasn't like sort of like a woke decision to do this and I'm going to be body positive or anything. It's like, no, I, I know who buys the shirts because I've met these people. Mm -hmm. I'm going to represent those people who believe in the artwork on my website. I'm not going to present a false narrative. Of, you know, this is posh, you know, supreme wear or whatever it might be. It's like, no, this is people who can appreciate whatever it is, this is like whatever my style is. And, uh, I, so they're showing the appreciation for my style. I want to show the appreciation for them and be real about who buys my shirts. And I don't think I see that very often, like you were saying with models and everything. So that that's a really great way to make this very close knit community. I think too. Yeah. it's yeah. kind of like, uh, 
if you submit something to your workplace, like I'd really like it if you'd feature that I had a kid or something and then they do in the newsletter. So that's right, really right. cool. That's a cool culture. Well, I, I'm trying to think of what we did not cover because you are very articulate and very good at oh, <laughs> everything. So, so are there any future plans for any of your projects? Any are conventions opening up? Are are there special episodes coming out or anything? Uh, definitely, definitely some special episodes coming on the podcast. Again, oneradpodcast.com. I, I know for certain there's going to be a special episode on Got to Go Cast the Sonic podcast. Uh, there's also something that may or may not happen, but we've discussed behind the scenes that would be a complete uh, diversion. From what we're currently doing now um we might produce a radio play um so that'd be interesting i always have lots of ideas but i don't like uh, sharing them this is my bit of advice for anyone who's like i could do what this guy does cool do it like it, i got to a certain point uh in my life where i held myself back enough and i was always like well i have an idea to do this and i have an idea that and you always know that guy or that girl or whoever who's just like the idea person I, I i have an idea for a sketch or i have an idea for a cartoon or a comic but then they never do it so now it's like i i've taken the approach of it's put up or shut up ideas are worthless either do it or don't and that's what i did and maybe that's why i've created this weird ecosystem around me with one Rad Team, One Rad Podcast, the Hot Blooded Challenger Club, but it was, I have an idea, I'm going to do it. Win, lose, or draw, it's going to happen. And I made the things happen. And thankfully, they're sticking around. So now they're just sort of this conglomeration of things. But definitely, definitely new things are going to be coming out. I just touched on issue three of ROM, so the deadline for that September 12th, if you want to submit. Uh, that issue, Fear, will be coming out. We're already talking about issue four that'll be out in the winter. So again, people are really jazzed about it and they want to contribute and they want to know what's the next theme, what can I do? Uh, the t-shirt, October, there will be, October, November, there'll be a new Kickstarter for a Saturday morning cartoon uh, shirt. It has a title, I just didn't buy the domain yet. So I don't want to say it on air until I have that domain. But that'll be just like uh, Monster Smash here, will be a collection of Saturday morning cartoon characters. Uh, and rough sketches of that are already developed, and that's going to happen because it's going to fill one of the requirements for the Hot Blooded Challenger Club. So, oh, and end of July, the Hot Blooded Challenger Club is having its first convention. It's not really a convention; it's just a meetup of a few guys playing pinball. But we're calling it a convention, and that's happening in Asbury Park. So that's something cool, and we'll see if that's something that continues uh, every year. But that's going to be probably my first and only convention uh, <laughs> this year until we can like vaccinate children and things like that, because I'm still a little nervous about it all. I think I think the world was turned upside down last year, but like you were saying, you've met some great people through podcasting and yeah. you've made a lot of virtual friends and I met you through the internet. So sure. <laughs> technology yeah. is pretty cool. I appreciate that. So you've mentioned so many ways people can support you. Is there anything that we didn't touch on? I think we touched on it all. Twitter, uh, at ObeyCube. Cube is spelt with a K. That's O-B-E-Y-K-U-B-E. -E. That's also uh, where you can find me on Instagram. And those are the two places I'm most active. Uh, otherwise, it's One Rad Tea, One Rad Podcast, and HotBloodedChallenger.club. Those are the other links, which we've already gone over numerous times. That's, hey. I'm selling here. I'm selling well, speaking of cartoons, like in Dexter's Laboratory, I don't know if you watched that, where he's trying to learn French. Oh, sure. And yeah. it gets stuck on Omelette Omelette du fromage. fromage. Yeah, sure. Yeah, see, but you're, you're emulating Dexter with the root. <laughs> it's going to stick. It's going to stick. Well, Kyle, thank you so much for your time. Thank we are you recording. Thank you. We're recording on July 5th. So it's our both of our days off from yes. work. So I really appreciate your taking time. And listeners, you can find me at FairyCrypt on Instagram or Twitter. My Instagram is private because I'm tired of the bots. <laughs> oh, yeah. I get those all. It's Oh, boy. Quick story. I don't know. If we have to go, we have to go. Oh, no, but no. Because no. I do. So because I get submissions of people wearing uh, the shirts at, like they're normally women, and I'll post them on my account to say, hey, look, here's so-and-so wearing the shirt. Well, every bot under the sun is like, 
hello, baby, would you like to sponsor this, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, but I, I don't know if you want me wearing your product. I will, but I only get paid in Disney dollars. Like, I write back stupid stuff, and I know it's going nowhere. Uh, but, yeah, I get those bots all the time, and it's so annoying. It's like, DM for collabs. And I'm like, fuck off, please. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I get it. Uh, yeah, I mean, so if people can add me on Instagram, I just uh, send me a message and be like, I am not a bot. I listen to you. <laughs> whatever, I'm whatever not going to tell you to DM me for collabs or anything like that. I'm yeah. not going to tell you you're beautiful when I don't oh, know. Oh, well, yeah. yeah, that's a whole other scene. Yeah. Well, I, could tell I have a friend, uh, just she, she excellent photographer, but creepazoids looking for her feet on Instagram. It's a big turnoff, understandably so. Yeah, you know. Yeah, your face says it all. Oh, <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't had anything to, well, well, that's another podcast. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, so we, we're going long. Now we're diving, we're oh. diving into stuff we normally talk about on my podcast. <laughs> but yeah, this is, this is a blast. And, and y'all, we have a bunch of other 1v1 episodes on Retro... Oh, my God, Retrovania. See, I'm talking about... No, no, <laughs> you get in trouble if you plug their show. <laughs> BossRushGames.com. Yes! Check it out. That's where you can find great content like this interview you're watching right now. Yeah. That could sell for other people, too. Yes, you could. We'll have to... You should do voiceover. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, we, we can listen to our Nintendo Power Blog podcast. We have Arsenal X for Xbox. We have the Destiny podcast. We have the PlayStation podcast, Crossroads. <sighs> People are busy. I think we're, we, but imagine Kyle doing all of that by himself. <laughs> yes. I got great contributors to talk on the line, but I got to cut it up. And that's where I start to lose my mind is in the booth. All right. Thank you again, Kyle and listeners. Thank you, Brad. Thank you again. And until next time, we'll talk to you all later. Bye, guys. Bye.